prepare for the next leader God is going to bring to this church. And I'm very excited to be here. My name is a little different. I'm used to people getting it wrong the first few times, so that's okay. Um, it's Tamar. I... I tell people it rhymes with Lamar. We had a good friend who was a basketball fan who would come over and watch basketball with us, and he could not get my name right for the life of him. And so I said, it's like Lamar Odom, but with a T. And that did it. So (laughs) I don't know how you can associate me with Lamar Odom, but that worked. So, yes, I'm very happy to be here and um, and just see what God does through the course of the summer and uh, the next stage that he is preparing you for. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And, um, you know, as a pastor, you don't always want to preach on the Pentecost story on Pentecost Sunday. That can get a little redundant if you do that every year. Um, but as I was praying about what to preach on, it occurred to me that the Pentecost story is very relevant to caring community church. It's this group of believers, about 120 people, so not a lot more than we have here. And they've just lost their beloved leader, the only leader they've ever known, in fact, Jesus, the one who started their movement, the one who gathered them all together. He's retired Um, you know, he ascended up into the sky and the clouds. I think his retirement may have been a little bit more spectacular than Pastor Steve's, but the point is he, he's retired. It was, it was a happy farewell, but he's gone now. And the disciples are there and they're just kind of staring up at the sky. Half in shock and half kind of frozen. And and finally, an angel appears and says, um, how long are you guys going to look at the sky? And they're like, oh. And they had to think about what to do next. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read about this. I'm going to have some of the verses on the slides, but not all of them, because I do want to encourage you to be familiar with your own Bibles. So Acts chapter 1. Just to give you a little bit of a timeline, um, Jesus died during the Jewish festival of Passover. That's when the Jews would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate how God had set them free when they were slaves in Egypt. So that is when Jesus died. He rose again on the last day of that festival, which is the day of first fruits. And it's when the Jews would celebrate the ingathering of the first harvest, the barley harvest. And they would give thanks to God for that. So that was the day that Jesus rose again. That's why in the New Testament you also hear him, um, some of the writers refer to him as the first fruits. It's because he rose again on that day of the first fruits. And he was, in fact, the first of all that God would raise from the dead. Well, 50 days after that comes another festival called Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. And this is when the Jews, they would celebrate the rest of the harvest, the fullness of the harvest coming in. And so all able-bodied men would come back to Jerusalem again. And so this time period that we're going to read about happens between the 
the first fruits when Jesus rose again and the festival of Pentecost, 50 days in between. It says, we're going to start in verse 3, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, this is talking about Jesus, of course, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, which you have heard me speak about. When I was here in April, we looked at these very texts in John. When Jesus was at the Last Supper with his disciples, he told them, I'm about to leave you, but the father will send the Holy Spirit. So now this is Jesus after his resurrection, reminding the disciples of that teaching he gave them. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends up into heaven and they're just like, oh, and the angel's like, hey, what you guys going to do? And and they're like, well, I guess we go back to Jerusalem and wait. You know, they, they didn't have any big plans. That's all they knew. So in verse 12, it says this. Uh, there we go. Then they returned to Jerusalem and from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Jesus rises from the dead. He's with them for 40 days. He ascends, and then they're just commanded to wait. And so they stay together in Jerusalem, and they just pray constantly. And then Peter speaks up, and he says, you know, we need a church election. Jesus appointed 12 apostles. One of them is gone now because of Judas who betrayed Jesus. He later killed himself out of grief. Um, and we only have 11 and, and we're supposed to have 12. So they pray and they cast lots and Matthias is chosen to be the 12th disciple or apostle. Apostle just meaning one who will go and preach about Jesus. In fact, um, this is what Peter says. We have that slide too. When he's telling them they need to do this election, he goes, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us to the resurrection. That was the whole point of this election. So Matthias is chosen. He is never mentioned again in Scripture. Ever. And so scholars really don't know, was this election God's idea or was like Peter just getting impatient? We don't know. It seems like they were floundering a little bit, but their intention was good. Their intention was to follow Jesus' command to stay in Jerusalem. They were praying constantly and they thought we want to be prepared. So... We'll follow what Jesus did. He appointed 12. We'll appoint 12, and then then we'll be ready when we finally get the sign that it's time to go. So that was their intent. 
And this time of the constant prayer and decision-making was 10 days in between when Jesus ascended and when Pentecost came. Now, I don't think I can tell the story of Pentecost any better than the Bible tells it. And I think, um, frankly, it's better for you to hear God's words than mine. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2. All right, we're going to start in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, because it was Pentecost, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Just like today, there were Jews living in all different nations around the world, but they would regather for Pentecost. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men speaking Galileans? Galileans just mean they're people who lived around the Sea of Galilee. And Galileans were not known to be highly educated people who were fluent in multiple languages. They were blue-collar fishermen. It would be kind of like if you went to Flint, Michigan and walked into a GM plant and suddenly there was this huge roar of wind and then all the assembly line workers start speaking in other languages. And this one's like in Chinese, and over here we have some Russian and Japanese and Portuguese. And, and you just look like, you just wouldn't expect that, it, right? Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites Residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. It's amazing how people see what they want to see. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all those living in Jerusalem. Listen, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This next line must be might be the funniest line in all of scripture. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Probably a reference to eclipses, what we call blood moons today. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. They had witnessed Jesus' miracles. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then Peter goes on, and he talks about how Jesus fulfilled prophecies made by the ancient King David, the most beloved king of Israel. All the Jewish people would have been very familiar with King David. And he shows how Jesus fulfilled David's prophecies that God would raise a savior from the dead. And then he continues, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the others, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you. And for your children, and for all who are, are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000! 3,000 people got saved in one day. Can you imagine? Here's this band of believers. They're huddled together, missing their leader. So they're just praying and waiting and trying to prepare as best they can. And God does way more than they could ever ask for or imagine. I want to go back to what Scripture says they were doing before Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came. In Acts 1.14, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They, I need that next one. Oh, okay, I see. I'm learning how to read your slides. I've never actually read them before. I haven't. So, <laughs> okay, I, the, the words in yellow are the next slide coming up. Wow, and you don't see that on your screen. But it helps me, apparently, if I need to know what's coming. That's kind of cool. All right, so don't look behind. 
It's a cheat sheet. You can't see that. All right. So, but it says they all joined constantly together in prayer. If there's one thing we need to do right now in this time of transition of spiritual leadership, it's to join together constantly in prayer. Just like the disciples did. The way to prepare for the next great thing God is going to do is to join constantly together in prayer. I I truly believe God has great things in store for you. Um, Thursday night, I couldn't sleep. My husband is laughing because he knows. Um, but I was so excited. Because I could just sense all the great things that were coming. And I had all this energy. I actually got on my elliptical at like 2.30 in the morning. I haven't touched that thing in two years. <laughs> um, but I can just sense that God wants to do great things here and there's so much potential here. But I think God sends great miracles to Christians who are praying and preparing and waiting for them. And that's what we need to do. Now, I know when I put forth this challenge to, to join, we need to join constantly together in prayer. Some of you are like, yes. And some of you are like, yeah, she's probably right. <laughs> there are so many things in the Christian life that we should do that are difficult to motivate ourselves to actually do. So I want to share with you something that I learned back when I was in college that has really helped me. Um, it's, it's been one of the most significant keys to my spiritual growth in the past 25 years. When I was in college, I was studying to become a minister. And I was also dating someone else there at the college. And it was not a healthy relationship, and I knew it. Um, but I was in love. And once your heart is involved, it's really hard to turn that back. And whenever I would pray or go to church, I would get convicted about how this relationship was not good. And um, I didn't want to hear it. So I started praying less, and I started going to church less. And pretty soon, I'm painfully aware that I am a complete hypocrite, studying to go into ministry, but not praying or going to church. And so I grabbed a post-it note, and I wrote down the only prayer I could muster, which was, Lord, give me the desire to pray. I didn't have the desire to pray. But I knew if I did, then I would begin to pray, then God would begin to speak to me, and slowly, he would walk me back on the right path. And so I stuck that post-it note on my mirror in my bathroom, and every morning, when I was brushing my teeth, I would glare at it, (laughs) and be like, Lord, give me the desire to pray, (laughs) you know? 
And every night the same thing again. And you know what happened? After a few weeks, I started to really miss my Heavenly Father. And so I started to pray just a little bit more, not much, just another couple sentences. Because I still didn't want to hear from him, but I miss talking to him. And um, slowly he grew my desire to pray more and more. I began to pray more and more. And step by step, he walked me out of that relationship. And ever since then, whenever there was good I knew I should be doing but didn't want to do, I would just pray for the desire to do that. God, give me the desire to read the Bible. Pray that one a lot. God, give me the desire to share my faith with others. God, give me the desire to serve. God, give me the desire to forgive all those things. Do you think he answered those prayers? Of course. Of course. You see, I've realized that um, way back when, in my youthful sinner days, when I was like six, I couldn't save myself from sin. I couldn't make myself a better person by trying harder. I had to rely on God's grace to save me. And the same is still true to this day. I cannot make myself a better person. I cannot make myself more holy or more Christ-like by trying harder. I still have to ask God to do it. And so for me... It always starts by asking God to give me the desire. And then once I have the desire, I ask him not to teach me how to do it. And he does. And pretty much all my spiritual growth over the last 25 years can be chalked up to that simple principle. It reminds me of the disciples when they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They, they were a little farther ahead of me than I was in college. They had the desire already. They had been following Jesus and they had noticed Jesus had this habit of going off to quiet places to pray. And then when he would come back, something big would happen. Like he'd choose who the 12 disciples were or some big miracle would happen. Or he would say, hey, we need to leave this town and go to this town. And they realized he was empowered by prayer. And so they desired to have that. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he did. He gave them the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to ask you to adopt that simple prayer for the next two weeks. We're not going to start with this big ask for a big prayer commitment, just a very, very simple one. That for the next two weeks, every day... You will pray this. Now we can go to the next slide. There it is. All right. Lord, give us the desire to pray and teach us to pray. A prayer for yourself, but also for everyone else who's a part of caring community. 
Because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. When the disciples asked him, and he gave them the Lord's Prayer, he didn't say, pray my Father who is in heaven, give us this day my daily bread, or give me this day my daily bread. No, I know I'm skipping some lines there. But the point is, he put it in the plural, right? He said, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. He taught us to pray not just for ourselves, but for the whole group of believers. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm going to ask you to program this into your phones. Like right now, you can start pulling them out. Um, If you're not a phone person, there are post-it notes at the end of the rows. Um, You can find one near you or someone can pass one to you. But write this prayer out in your reminder app or set an alarm or however you like to be notified. Every day for the next week. Very simple. This is probably the easiest challenge a preacher has ever given you. Let's, let's be honest, alright? You're gonna pray these words. Lord, give us the desire to pray and teach us to pray. It's a very simple prayer, but it's a powerful one. This prayer works like a snowball. I mean, look at how it worked in the disciples when they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them. And by the time he was gone, they were really good at it, right? I mean, they gathering constantly in prayer together. It's hard to even imagine how we could do that. But they were really good at it. And the momentum of that prayer resulted in Pentecost. You guys, I, um, I'm very excited for what God's going to do. At the same time, I know the devil views you as vulnerable. You know, and he is going to use every little thing he can to discourage, to divide. And I think those disciples, when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, they were sitting ducks. And they waited, but they didn't just wait. They waited in prayer. And that's what we need to do. I don't want to just survive this pastoral transition. I want to thrive. I want you to thrive. All right? And this is our game plan. It starts very simple. For the next two weeks, every day, I want you to commit to praying. Lord, give us the desire to pray and teach us to pray. All right? Are you in with me? There's one more ask, and this is one that has been asked by your LBA before now. And that is to support the pastoral search team in prayer. You guys, that is not an easy job. It is a heavy responsibility. And frankly, it's it's like one that nobody is ever prepared for. Like, how do you pick the next pastor to succeed the person who's been here 40 years? Not easy. 
But they are going to the mat for you guys, and we need to go to the mat for them. And so I want to encourage you to pray for the pastoral team. Um, they've specifically asked for prayer during their meetings. You, of course, can pray for them at any time, right? But in the lobby, there's, um, I think on the little table, like right on this side, when you go out the door, there's a sheet that looks like this where you can sign up to pray for them during their meetings. Their next meeting is tomorrow night starting at 530. And I do believe they're interviewing someone at that meeting or going to try. Yeah, we are, we're, we're going to interview some, someone. So, um, Please sign up and um, set yourself a reminder in your phone again to pray for the search team. Okay? Sound good? How about we uh, go to the mat for them right now? All right? Join me in prayer as the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are not sitting ducks. You do not leave us alone. You do not leave us vulnerable. You give us tools. And you give us each other. And you give us your spirit. So, Father, I pray now you help us to be patient. I pray that you'll help us gather together. And I pray that you will give us the desire to pray. That we will yearn for it. That we will want it. That we will want to speak to you. That we will want to hear from you. That there will be times throughout our day that it will just hit us and we can just pause and say a quick prayer. God, I pray you'll give us the desire to pray. And I pray that you will teach us how to pray. To really pray. In ways that are powerful and effective. God, we thank you. For those who have volunteered to serve on the pastoral search team. We pray your protection over them and their families. God, we pray that you would give them a spirit of unity. And of peace and of sound mind. I think of the the disciples when they were trying to figure out who on earth should be the 12th apostle. And, And casting lots, you know, it's pick one out of the stack, God. God, I I so often struggle to know what your direction is. And I pray that you give me neon blinking signs. God, I pray that you will give the pastoral search team neon blinking signs that are just so obvious that they cannot miss them. God, I pray you give them wisdom and discernment about how they are to proceed. And God, I pray that their time serving on the pastoral team together would be not a heavy burden, but a time of blessing and refreshing for them and a time where you pull them closer together and closer to you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, God. Continue to lead and guide us. And once again, I just ask, you deepen our desire to pray. And you teach us to pray. Just like you taught your first disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.